Well, good morning, Community Faith. Uh, I just want to say thank you. Uh, thanks for being vulnerable. Thanks for being real, for being honest. I think that's one of the things I love most about this place is that uh, we all come from different places. Uh, we all have things that we're struggling with. And uh, I think today, if there's anything you can leave here confident and knowing, it's that you're not alone in what you're struggling with. Uh, because at no point during this video were you holding up your light all by yourself. There were multiple people in the room for every single question. As we dive into Smart Home, a new teaching series here for the next several weeks today, uh, we're going to kind of take a, a, a larger view across a scope of several things. But I want us to consider what we just read on a screen and what we just responded to as we reflected, because every single one of the situations that we saw today have impl implications on our home, especially if you think the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I want us to consider the reality of our home because the home impacts everything. Everything in your life is influenced by the home that you were raised in. It's influenced by the home that you're in currently, whether you're single, married, uh, got a circus of kids at home or kids aren't at home. No matter what age you are, we all come from a place. Wherever that place is that you come from is home. And where as we think about our home, our home shapes the way we think, it shapes the way we act, it shapes, shapes the way we do things, it shapes the way we think about politics, the way we uh, consider hard work, the way that we view gender roles in our culture, it shapes everything. And so I think it's important for us to spend the first several weeks of 2022 really thinking about this, because so much of what we do is a response to where we come from. And maybe you're sitting there like, Wes, I'm not, nothing like my parents. I'm nothing like the home that I grew up in. And that may be absolutely true for you, but even that is still a response to the home that you were raised in. And so as we consider this, we dive into Smart Home. This series is for every single one of us. And to start this off today, I want us to jump into a passage of scripture in John chapter five. And it may be a familiar story that you've heard, but I want us to consider first that we would start smart to, to a smart home, that we would start smart to a smart home. And we're gonna look at a lot of specific things over the next several weeks, but we're gonna kind of touch on several of those things this morning. And we're gonna use this story as kind of the backdrop for um, this series as we launch from this. And let's just go ahead and pick it up. John chapter five, starting in verse one. It says this, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, this is interesting. Let me catch you up. What's going on here is this, there's a festival that's happening. There's a celebration. And every year, seven, seven different times during the year, the Jewish people would gather together and they would celebrate. They would uh, worship God. They would thank him for all that he was doing, all that he had provided for them in their lives, for the pr protection that he had given to them. This was an opportunity to celebrate the goodness of God. This was a proof of a relationship with God because they were celebrating someone that they were in a relationship with. It's what we're gonna do Thursday night. This is my shameless plug for Thursday, night of worship. That's all that is. It's an opportunity for us to come together and to celebrate who God is and what God has done for us, for this church, in this community, and all around the world, believing he's not finished and he wants to continue and to do incredible things in this new year. So there's this group of people leaving, but then we find out about a second group of people. This is now in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, there is a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five porticos. In these porticos lay a multitude of those who were sick blind, limping, or paralyzed. 
So we see the contrast. We have this group who's walking on their way to a celebration, a celebration that was going to be in close proximity to the scene we just read described here. Another group of people who it says are sick, lame, blind, and paralyzed. What's important to recognize is that one group is going to celebrate while another group is unable to celebrate. But yet they're close enough to understand that there's a celebration going on. They're close enough to know that there are people in close proximity to them that are experiencing God's goodness, that are experiencing the life that they desire, but they find themselves stuck in this place, hopeless, frustrated, waiting on a miracle. And as I reflect back to just a few moments ago, as we were responding with our phones, I don't know that there's many of us that are stuck in a place physically like we read in this passage, but I am confident in believing that many of us maybe feel ourselves stuck in a place and surrounded by other people who are stuck in a place, unable to completely celebrate the goodness of God because maybe, maybe you're stuck in this portico of the, mar- the marriage you're in being on the rocks and feeling hopeless about the relationship and all that you dreamed that it would be has never seemed to be the reality for you. Maybe you're not stuck in that portico, but you're stuck in the portico of your kids just being an absolute mess, running from God, far from God, and you're terrified for them, for their lives. Maybe you're in the portico of being neck deep in credit card debt. It's overwhelming. It's stressful. It's paralyzing. It keeps you up at night. Or maybe you're in the portico where the conditions in the home has led to the consistent use of alcohol or some sort of prescription drug or some other substance to just try to numb the pain and the effects of all that you're experiencing in the dysfunction of the home. What used to be maybe a a social habit or something you would do out on a night with the friends has turned into a consistent habit that you feel is necessary to just survive the day and make it to the next day. Maybe none of those are the portico you find yourself in. Maybe you find yourself in the portico of just heartbreak in the home devastation, landing in a place where you struggle to trust those that you're closest to, that you're supposed to be able to trust, struggling to trust your spouse, your parents, your siblings, you're stuck. My point is, is that there's many of us that are just struggling to celebrate despite being in close proximity with others who maybe this morning were celebrating all of God's goodness because they're experiencing it. And you look at them and you think, man, why, why is it not like that for me? I think it's similar to the situation that these people find themselves in on this scene at the pool of Bethesda. We skip to verse five, look what it says. It says, now a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Now I think we've got to pause and and, and not skip over that. 38 years, that is a long time. 38 years ago, I was three. 38 years ago, Ronald Reagan was in his first presidential term. 38 years ago, Hurricane Alicia devastated the area. 38 years ago, MASH broke all the records and became the most televised broadcast ever in America. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you remember that. 38 years ago, Cabbage Patch Dolls made their debut and turned into the Cabbage Patch Riots. I've just got to say, I'm thankful that I was young enough that I don't remember there being riots over some really creepy looking dolls. 38 years ago, McDonald's introduced the McNuggets. And I know why you have to put so much barbecue sauce on those McNuggets. It's because you're not sure that it's really chicken. 
My point is, is that 38 years ago is a long time. And for 38 years, this man has been sitting in this place, stuck because of the circumstances, the situation, the paralysis that he's experiencing in his life. And it says, Jesus, upon seeing this man, it's important for us to know. I would, I would encourage you, maybe, maybe this week, maybe you're feeling like you're in a place where, man, I'm not sure Jesus cares about me. I'm not sure that Jesus is concerned about the things going on in my life. Just go read the book of John this week and pay specific attention to the encounters Jesus has with different people. In almost every single situation, the encounter he has when he sees somebody is an encounter of compassion, of love. He feels compassion towards those he sees. It talks about the multitude, and he had compassion on the multitude, the compassion and love towards the rich young ruler. He's compassionate towards those he sees, but he doesn't see just the crowd. Notice he doesn't say seeing this crowd lying there. He says this man. Why? Because Jesus is concerned about the individual. He's concerned about the person. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about me. Jesus sees this man lying there after 38 years. And knowing that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, important question. He says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I think it's important for us to understand that, especially in light of what we responded to on the screen just a little while ago, because as we held up our lights, as you were holding your cell phone up, and maybe you're like, you're a little salty right now, because you're like, I didn't get to hold up my light, because I'm still rocking the the, the flip phone, Wes. Listen, I'm sorry, we'll uh, try to accommodate that better in another week. But you felt the weight of responding. You felt the weight of, what about other people seeing that I'm responding to this? And you feel that. And I think it's important to feel that, but I think as we feel it, also recognize that out of the 7 billion people in all of the world, you're here today, or you're watching online, and Jesus sees you. He's interested in you, the person. And he has a question for you. And it's not an accidental question. There's no gauge on how much time has that transpired as you've been in this place where you felt stuck or paralyzed by the circumstances going on in your life, there's a question that Jesus is asking every single one of us today that he asks the man on the scene. He says, do you want to get well? As we continue through the story, I think we see this man's response. I think we can begin to unpack three different approaches that many of us have a tendency to take in order to experience a better future than what we find ourselves in currently. Now, the first two aren't the most smartest. They're not the smartest way to experience the best home for your future, but I think they might be the most common approach that we tend to take. Look what it says in verse 7. It says, a sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. That's an interesting response to a question that Jesus asked, do you want to get well? And he says, "Uh, Jesus, listen, I don't have anybody to get me into the pool. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, which I know many of us maybe aren't, because this is, this is new, this is fresh. Maybe you're, you're new to church, new to faith, new to Jesus, still kind of checking, checking all of this out. There's something important we're missing. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the room. And many of you would say, yeah, you're right, Wes. I didn't wear a bicycle helmet as a kid. I might've fallen and hit my head a couple times. But as I was reading through this passage, and if you've got your Bible open in front of you, you've got your Bible app open in front of you, and you're reading along, you notice that it was verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and then it skipped to verse 5. Why is that? Why why skip verse 4? Well, a lot of translations of Scripture don't include verse 4. And so what I did is I went and pulled from the amplified version of the Bible, and I pulled 
verse four out because it gives us a little bit better context for why this man is responding this way. Look what it says in verse four. It says, waiting for the stirring of the water for an angel of the Lord. Those that are waiting, by the way, he's talking about the crowd, those that were blind, lame, sick, paralyzed. He says, waiting for the stirring of the water for an angel of the Lord went down into the pool at appointed seasons and stirred up the water. The first one to go in after the water was stirred, after the water was stirred, was healed of his disease. Now, I know that raises some red flags that causes some questions. Like, why, why was this not left out? Well, here's the reason. Scholars, theologians, people a lot smarter than me that have studied this, that have gone back and looked at original manuscripts and continue to, to dig and try to find the most original versions of the scriptures that we read on a weekly basis. This verse is not included in the earliest manuscripts, but it showed up later. It was added at some point later. And there's not a lot of confidence in exactly what's trying to be explained here. But one of the stances that many scholars and theologians take, architects take, or um, archaeologists take, is that this was a scheme. That there was a group of people that had designed this scheme to take advantage of and exploit those that were disabled, those that were weak. And it was a money-making scheme. And so they would rally together and they would begin to plead with these people, hey, if you just pay a little bit more money, then we'll help advance you closer to the pool so that if you fall in the pool, then you can be healed. So there's this scheme. There was this, this posture that they were trying to get you to take. And so you're working with other people. You're trying to maybe make deals with the people sitting next to you. Hey, listen, if, if you'll help me get in the pool first, then hey, I'll come back and I'll help you get inside the pool. Just, just let's, let's put a little money under the table. There's, there's something going on here but it wasn't a legitimate healing process. They would stir the water up. But yet this man has sat there for 38 years wishing that he could just fall into the pool so that he could be healed and experience the life he desires, the life he believes he's meant to live in the days ahead. I think what we see here when Jesus shows up on the scene is we see this first approach. We see the approach that this man is believing the lies. And every single one of us have the same tendency to do this. He believed that his only hope was to find a way to beat everybody else into the pool. I mean, can you imagine the chaos of this, of this scene? Everybody's sitting there. I mean, this is, this is probably not the cleanest, most sanitary place. They're hanging out, and as soon as bubbles start coming up from the water, it is a mad dash to be the first one to fall into the pool. I mean, what happens when all the people that, that fall in just a split second after the first person, they got to get out, they're all wet, they're all frustrated, they didn't, they, they didn't get to experience what they hoped they would experience. This is a place of desperation place of hopelessness where they're believing, if I could just get in the water, maybe I would find healing. Maybe there would be a different hope for me in the days ahead. I would be well. So Jesus asks this question, do you want to get well? People that know me well know that I have an unhealthy relationship with sugar. Um, I like candy. I like snacks. So several years ago, I was uh, introduced to fruit snacks. And I thought, well, this is genius. It's like candy, but it's got fruit in it. The label says fruit snacks on the package. I mean, there's this package of fruit snacks. I'm like, it's got fruit. It's got to be healthier than the Skittles that I love to eat. So I'm going to eat some fruit snacks. And then I started reading the ingredients in the package. There was no fruit. Zero percent of it was fruit juice, real fruit juice. It was high levels of fructose corn syrup and food coloring. And it tasted amazing but it wasn't what I hoped it would be. I think there's something to this. I think this is what we see. These are, this is, these are the lies that we believe. As we think about this idea of packaging, 
We believe the lies that this is the best way. This is the best life. This is the best scenario. And if I could just get this, if I could just have this, then I'll experience the life that I want. But the problem is, is as we believe the lies and we pay attention to the label on the package, we find ourselves down a path where we begin to consume ingredients that we know are unhealthy. Let me give you a little bit different example that I think may help wrap our minds about around what I'm talking about today. And I just want to caution you, listen, this is not me being political. This is not me creating some kind of stance that I'm trying to get you to agree with me on. I just want you to see this. This week, this has been something that's been talked about a lot. Let me show you a picture. That was last year, January 6, 2021, the insurrection of the U.S. Capitol. Now listen, I am not standing up here right now to condemn or rebuke anyone for deeply caring about the integrity of the election system. Don't hear that. That's not my intent. In fact, I think you should care. We should care about the integrity of anything going on in our government. But what happened on this day was done under the label of freedom. But what it actually was, was violence, anarchy, and open rebellion packaged under the label of freedom. But we believe a lie sometimes. We buy into something that isn't really what we thought it was. So let's just talk about this in the context of our home. As we believe the lies in the context of our homes, hoping for a better future, hoping for better days ahead. Let me talk about something else that's maybe not as controversial, but maybe it is. Let's just talk about youth sports for a second. Man, we live in a culture, especially in Northwest Houston, where we want to do everything we can to make sure that our children are the most accomplished, decorated, high-achieving athletes, uh, students, skilled individuals that they could possibly be. And we invest time and energy and money and emotion. Everything we have goes into the pursuit of helping our child get to the next level to just make that team. And if they can make that team, then maybe they'll make the high school team. And if they make the high school team, then they'll be able to make the college team. And when they make the college team, then they'll get to become a professional one day and their life will be perfect. It'll be everything they ever could imagine it would be, except when it's not. Now listen, I need you to hear me. I love sports. I'm super competitive and I have brainwashed my kids to think that sports are great and that being competitive is great. And I've invested time, I've invested money, I've invested emotion. I've never yelled at anybody at a youth sporting event. That's a lie. I care deeply about youth sports, but here's my point. I think we have this ability sometimes to not realize that we're falling for the lie, believing that if we could just help them accomplish greatness in their athletic achievements, then they'll have the life that we hope they could have. The problem is, there's gonna be a point where they don't make the next level. Even in the event that you have the rare child that's the phenomenal athlete that makes it to the professional level and has a great career and then retires one day, there's gonna be a moment where that athletic achievement and pursuit is no longer there. And I wanna ask the question because it's a question I have to look in the mirror and ask myself, what am I building so that when that next level is no longer reality in their life, what am I building that's gonna help them find worth and value and security and safety and identity and purpose in their life? You see, I think we we begin to believe the lie. We pursue their achievements and we do everything and invest in everything at the expense of helping them understand the love of a heavenly father, a relationship with Jesus, and that their worth and their value and their their identity and their purpose in life comes from that, not from anything they could do on the sports field. 
We have to be careful because one day they're going to get to a place and they're going to be frustrated. They're going to be discouraged because you and I have believed the lie. Maybe it's not youth sports, but maybe you find yourself on the dating scene and you're single and there's really not a time of the year where it's maybe more uh, aggravating for you to be single because you just came off the holidays and you were spending all the time with your family, extended family and friends, and everybody seems to be in a relationship except for you. And when you find yourself in that reality, what is the most common thing that happens for you? Everybody's asking you, so have you met anybody lately? Is there a special someone? You know, because, and then you got that like one person who's just really not aware of themselves and they're just like, you know, the window is kind of closing. You're getting older. And you just kind of want to punch them in the throat. And then you begin to look forward into February and there's Valentine's Day or in the way you look at it, it's single awareness day. And you're like, man, this is just terrible. And so you wake up in the morning and you're looking in the mirror and you're you're getting ready for the day and you're having these thoughts of, you know, I I, I know I'm single, but I, I don't want to be single. I really want to find that special someone. And you try not to be consumed. You're trying to live in a healthy balance of like, I, I would love to find that special someone, but I'm not going to devote everything in my life to the pursuit of finding that special someone. And you get ready for work and you get in the car. And the first thing you hear when you get in the car is this love song duet with Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. And you're like, oh brother. And you turn that down. So you pull up your uh, iPhone and you're looking at Instagram because when you're not supposed to be dr- while you're driving, but you're like, whatever. And you're looking at pictures and all your friends, everybody you know, pictures of their significant other. So sweet, so loving. And you're like, ah, oh, I want that. And you get to work and everybody's talking about the date they went on this past weekend and how great their relationships are. And you're like, man, can I not catch a break? You're on your way home and even the animals are walking two by two down the sidewalk. And you're just like, I don't even know what to do. And you find yourself in this place of desperation, believing the lie that if you could just find the right someone, then life would be everything you hoped it could be. And the danger of that is you begin to believe the label and fail to recognize the ingredients that are incredibly unhealthy. You begin to lower your standards. You begin to make concessions. You begin to spend time with someone that you never really ever thought you would spend time with. What begins to happen is in that place of desperation where you're trying to find everything that life has to give in that relationship, you only find yourself in this cycle, in this pattern of discouragement, of hurt, of pain and baggage that you carry for the rest of your life. And it never seems to go away. Why? Because we believe the lie that that's what we need to have a better life, to have a better future. Don't believe the lie. I think we see this happening with this man. He's believed this lie. He's listened to these voices for 38 years, believing that that is his only hope. As he begins to be, as he's believing the lies, it leads him to a place. It's interesting when Jesus says, do you want to get well? It's interesting when you factor in his response because he doesn't respond with a yes or no. He responds with bringing an excuse He believes the lies, and then he begins to bring the excuse. He doesn't say, uh, yeah, I want to get well, or no, I'd rather not get well. He says, "Uh, listen, I would love to get well. That's probably what he's thinking in his head. And and who are you, by the way? Sorry, I didn't get your name, but do I want to get well? Listen, I I don't have anybody to get me in the pool. Like, this is just the way that I am. This This is just how I was born. I've been stuck here for 38 years. This guy is completely hopeless, so hopeless that he can't even recognize a proper answer to the question that he's been asked by Jesus. He doesn't even know that this is Jesus. 
you go back and read the story and figure that, find out that he didn't even know this was Jesus even at the end of the story. And Jesus comes back and says, hey, listen, I need you to understand who I am. He's found himself in an impossible situation. You know what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't show up on the scene and say, hey, listen, buddy, I know you've been here for 38 years. This is a terrible situation that you found yourself in. Here's what I need you to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and I just want you to, to pray this prayer with me. And then at the end of that prayer, I'm gonna leave and I just need you to know that you're gonna have hope for one day. You're gonna take your last breath on this earth and maybe it won't be too much longer. Maybe you won't have to endure this for another 38 years, but there'll be a day you'll get to spend eternity with me in heaven. So hey, pray this prayer and everything's gonna be okay. Listen, I'm not saying that having a moment of conversion where you pray and you confess your faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, I wanna trust you with everything. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. But that's not what Jesus does when he shows up on the scene. What he does is he shows up and he says, There's time, it's time for something to change. It's time for you to respond. It's time for you to do something. You don't have to be like this anymore. And the man responds with an excuse. I don't have anybody to help me get in the pool. This is just the way that I am. I was just born this way. And I think for some of us today, you find yourself in that place where you're stuck in your own personal prison of the past. And I'm not, I'm not talking today about things in your past that have happened that weren't your responsibility, circumstances that were beyond your control. I'm not talking about that. We're gonna spend some time talking about that in several weeks and how to heal from those things. But today, I want us to really just think about our own personal responsibility in this, our own responsibility in reflecting back on our past. Sometimes we get overwhelmed looking in the rearview mirror at our choices, at the decisions that we make, at the career pursuits that we choose. And then we find ourselves in a place where like, why did I even choose to go that route? Why, why did I choose to, to run this route in my career? Because it just feels meaningless and, and purposeless. And so you just kind of get in a place, where you're like, man, I'm just stuck. I don't have any joy in what I do. Maybe there's some of the family experiences you have um, experienced throughout your life. And you just kind of think, man, this is just the way that it's going to be for my life overwhelmed with maybe a cycle of failure, this continual struggle. You've promised and you've promised and you've promised to yourself and to those close to you, listen, I'll never do it again. I'm done. I'm, I'm done with that only to fall into whatever that is again. And you finally have gotten to a place where you've just dismissed it and said, this is just who I am. I'm tired of trying to change. I can't change. I was just born this way. Maybe you're the dad that flies off the handle at home in order to gain control over a situation where you're unhappy, you raise your voice, you throw things, you punch things to try to get control. And you think to yourself, you know what? This is just the way that I am. My daddy was this way. My granddaddy was this way. It's just the way that I am. But would, I, would, you, would you just consider for a moment that when you were a child, didn't that turn into a terrible situation every time that happened? You see, it's a terrible excuse to just simply say, this is just the way that I am. This is who I am, and this is how I was born. Today, we have the opportunity, like this man, to find healing, to find a different future, to begin to experience something different. You know, what's interesting is I was thinking about this and bringing these excuses. I think that oftentimes we find it easier to live in our excuses than to do what's necessary to be free. I heard a pastor in Las Vegas, his name's Judd Wilhite, say it like this, and I think this helps us understand what he's talking about. So sometimes a familiar captivity feels more comfortable than an unfamiliar freedom. And that's so true. When I think about some seasons in my life where I felt stuck, 
and I've believed the lies, and I've brought the excuses. And I begin to actually feel kind of comfortable there, but it's incredibly unhealthy. You know, I've met a lot of 30-year Christians who aren't 30-year Christians. They're first-year Christians who have had the same experience for 30 years. Is it because they've continued to believe the lie and make the excuses, avoiding the freedom and the recovery and the life change that God wants to do in you and through you? You see, an unhealthy you cultivates an unhealthy home. But the opposite is also true. A healthier version of you creates a healthier version for your home. So what would that look like for us? Listen, don't let the baggage of your past sabotage the home of your future. Well, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, look, look how the story ends. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Jesus pushes aside the excuse and he says, hey, listen, man, you need to get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Jesus shows up on this scene and he specifically approaches this man because he cares about this man. He cares about the person. And he shows up to claim authority over everything on this earth. And he says to the man, he's looking at him, he says, listen, I'm here today so that you can claim victory over the very thing that is robbing the life from you, the life that God has meant for you to live. Jesus shows up, he says, it's time for something different. It's time to break the pattern. You see, we gotta push back believing the lies. We've gotta push back the excuses. We've gotta begin to step into something that would break the pattern of the life that we've continued to live. It's interesting, as he responds, he says, pick up your pallet and walk. Look what the man does. Maybe. In the next verse, maybe I didn't put it there. Oh, we already read it, I'm sorry. It says that he picked up his pallet and he began to walk. Where did he begin to walk? Why walk? Why is that important? There were people walking by going to do what? Celebrate all that God had done. God's provision, God's protection. They were going to celebrate that. All of a sudden, this man had an opportunity to go celebrate God's goodness, not in somebody else's life, but in his life. Not in isolation, not by himself, but in community with other people. Listen, you want to find freedom in your life, then find community. Begin to connect with people. So that on those days where you do fall back and you're like, man, I fell back into the same cycle that I knew I was going to fall back into. You've got somebody on both sides of you, on one side and on the left side, and they're able to pick you up and say, hey, listen, it's okay. Let's keep focusing on the progress. Let's just take another step. When you take two steps backwards, we're going to help pick you up and we're going to take three steps forward. Let's go. Let's, let's live in this community. Jesus shows up in this moment to break the pattern in this man's life. A 38-year pattern. Today is the first week of smart home. And when we think about smart home, I think oftentimes we consider everybody in the home. We think about the relationships that we're close to, the people that we care about. But for this week, I just simply want us to focus on the person that we see in the mirror. Focus on you. Because Jesus is asking you a question today. He's saying, do you want to get well? And he says, get up. You need to do something. To the man, he looks at the man, he says, I need you to get up. He's saying, I need you to do the one thing that you have never done before in your life. Do you see that? He's commanding him to do something he's never done. I mean, the guy's probably thinking, are you, are you serious right now? What would this look like for us? 
to do the one thing, to do the something that maybe we've never thought we could do in order to find healing. You see, I think a lot of us, we get stuck in this place where we're waiting for God to do the miracle. God, if you just do the miracle, come on, God, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. What if the miracle is waiting on you? Waiting on you to move, to trust his goodness, to trust the step that he's calling you to take. What is that step? Every single one of us in this room have different steps to take. And a lot of them are steps that maybe you've never been willing to take. Maybe the step for you is just to simply start some sort of counseling. We have a counseling center on our property. Begin to have some dialogue, some, some conversation with professional, skilled individuals who are able to listen and able to, to help you understand and unpack all the things that you're experiencing in your life so that you can experience healing. Maybe that's the step that you've been push to take that you're, you've been unwilling to take. You've been believing a lie that you don't need it and making the excuses that you don't have time for it, but maybe God's calling you to take that step today. Maybe it's not counseling. Maybe it's just having a conversation with someone about the, the cycle of sin, the, the, the habit, the tendency that you seem to find yourself constantly falling back into. To begin to find accountability with someone so that you may not experience freedom to do the thing that you've never been able to do before. Maybe it's ending the cycle of unhealthy dating just begin to find contentment, maybe carving out a specific time on your calendar where you say, listen, I'm not gonna focus on finding anyone and I'm gonna focus on finding my security, not in someone that I can spend the rest of my life with, but finding my security in, in Jesus and in who he says I am and the purpose that he's called me to live into. I wanna focus on that for this extended period of time so that maybe in that I can become the person that the one I'm looking for is actually looking for. What would it look like to take that step? Maybe the step for you is just to simply trust Jesus. You've been aware of Jesus. You've been in proximity with people who know Jesus, people who celebrate a relationship with Jesus and all that he's done in their lives, but you've never made that decision for yourself. Listen, today, Jesus is showing up in your portico and he's saying, do you wanna get well? He's saying, do you, do you trust me? You trust that I love you, that I care for you, that I have good plans for you. Maybe that's the step that he's calling you to take is just to lay your life down and say, Jesus, I trust you with everything. I don't know what it looks like yet. I'm terrified of what this is gonna cost me, but I trust you and I trust your goodness. Maybe that's the step that he's calling you to take. Maybe it's to, to join a small group and get connected with people and finding community. Small groups start in February. You can stop by in the lobby and talk to somebody about small groups today. And maybe that's a step that you're like, man, I've heard people talk about that, but I, I, I don't know that I have time for that. I'm a little bit awkward socially, and so what are people gonna think? Is there gonna be anybody like me? And push the excuses aside, take the step. Maybe the simple, simplest step, but maybe the most difficult step is just showing a new pattern and routine in your life, making a plan. Here we are in January carving out and making a plan, putting things on the calendar. I'm gonna be at church for the next eight weeks, and I'm gonna work on these things in my home. I'm gonna carve out this space, no matter what the cost is. Maybe it's planning, being intentional, just to pray together as a family or as a couple, praying with your kids, beginning to cultivate that relationship for them with their heavenly father. Healing is possible. But you have to answer the question, do you really want it? And if you really want it, are you willing to do whatever it takes to find that healing? Notice his healing took place as he got up. Movement was necessary for the miracle in this man's life. I saw this on Instagram, and I'll close with this this week. And it said this, marriage is hard, 
Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. Obesity is hard. Being fit is hard. Choose your heart. Being in debt is hard. Being financially disciplined is hard. Choose your heart. Listen, life will not always be easy. I just got to tell you, if, if, if you ever show up at a place, you show up at a church and there's people that get on the stage like this and they say, hey, listen, just trust Jesus and life is going to be easy. They are lying to you. They may be deceived. It doesn't always mean that life is easy. It just means that you get to choose what is hard. There's a difference. And it's important that we recognize that. Here's what I think we need to walk away with today is simply this. When the power of God meets a willing heart, the impossible becomes impossible. Listen, there's healing available for your marriage. We're going to unpack that. We're going to dig. We're going to cultivate. We're going we're to figure out what's going on, and we're going to begin to find healing in our marriages. There's healing available for your financial situation. There's healing available for the relationship that you have with a wayward son or a wayward daughter the relationship and the, maybe the dynamics when it comes to your parenting or, or parenting with a blended family, we're going we're gonna to unpack some of that. There's healing for the hurt that you've experienced because of the broken home dynamics that you've lived through, through the divorce, through the absent father. There's healing available in every single one of those situations. But the question is, are you willing to take the steps necessary for healing? God wants you to be free I want you to be free because when you're free, you'll be the best father, the best mother, the best boss, the best mom, the best dad, the best friend, the best coworker, the best student. You will be the best version of yourself. You will be who you were meant to be. Do you want to get well? If you do, you've got to get up. You have to respond. Will you pray with me? God, I pray right now that you would just give us a really clear mind, that we begin to just clearly hear from you, starting now into this week and over the next several weeks. We don't want to hear opinions of humans. We don't want to hear um, thoughts from man. We want to hear from you. So I pray that you would use this entire series to cultivate something in every single one of us that we've never experienced before. God, I pray that you would empower the men in this room that are watching online to be the fathers, the, the husbands, the, the, the co-workers that you've called them to be. I pray that for the women. I pray that you would empower them to be the, the moms and the, the wives and the, the friends and the co-workers that you've enabled them to be. Would you do that in us and through us? I pray that for every single one of us. God, right now, I pray that you would clearly show us the steps you're calling us to take in order to experience freedom, find healing, God, as we do that, would you give us the courage to take those steps? I pray that the enemy would have no control over what you want to do in our lives and through our lives. And we thank you in advance for that. Together we say we trust you, even when we don't know what that looks like yet. And we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in us and through us in this new year, in our homes, in our families, in the spaces and the influences that we get to participate in. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen.